This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is an RNZ podcast. They say life is stranger than fiction. It would be dangerous, it would cut things, it you know, would basically electrocute you. And you know, if you're going to carry this thing that's a really high voltage power supply around, then you're probably better off just electrocuting your opponent. But sometimes what we see in movies or read in books is so incredible that it obviously couldn't be possible. Or could it? Another thing that we use it for is uh, plasma cutters. And so this, we can cut with a plasma? We can cut with a plasma, so that's kind of realistic, that the lightsaber can cut through things. Welcome to Sci-Fi Sci-Fact. I'm Brian Crump, and this is a podcast where we take science fiction's strangest ideas weirdest elements, most unfeasible plot drivers, and explore if they could actually happen in real life. Maybe they already have. And in every episode, we bring in a scientist from New Zealand's McDiamond Institute to explain the theories behind some of fiction's more fantastic flights of fancy, if any theory exists. In this episode, Professor Justin Hodgkiss, McDiamond Institute co-director and principal investigator, and Professor of Chemistry at Victoria University, Wellington, joins us to discuss the science behind lightsabers, the traditional Jedi weapon from Star Wars. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, God. The lightsaber is this is this weapon that's supposed to be this blade-like plasma. Yeah that can go through things, it can cut, it can burn, but it's deflected by another lightsaber. And that's why you have these climactic duels of, of lightsabers in every single Star Wars movie since 1977. Plasma. Plasma, yeah. So that's the key thing. So it's a plasma. So a plasma is something that's real. Yeah, that's and a form of matter, isn't it? Yeah. It's, One of the forms of matter. Yes, it's uh, it's referred to as the fourth state of matter, and it's uh, essentially an ionized gas so if you take a gas and you put it in a really, really high electric field, so that would be created by applying kilovolt potential to something, then you actually can rip out the electrons from the atoms. And then so you have this gas of some positively charged atoms and electrons that are buzzing around together. And that has really interesting properties. First of all, it's conductive because you've got these 
the soup of charges. And secondly, it emits light. So one of the most characteristic features of a lightsaber is that it has this glow. Mm. And that, that glow from a plasma is real. Which is what we thought was really cool about them. You yeah, see. exactly. Yeah. They do. So a real plasma does have this glow. Right. So I'll give you an example of a plasma that glows. Lightning. Lightning is formed by ionizing air. So this lightning bolt, this high potential forms in the cloud, and it wants to get to earth and it ionizes this pathway of air it becomes conductive as it ionizes the air and um and the light is lightning is not the electricity lightning is the result of the electricity ionizing the air am i understanding you right the actual light comes from the plasma where the air is ionized and then when it's you know that's very unstable and the electrons want to get back to the positively charged atoms and that releases energy a lot of it as light. So that's why a plasma And a fair amount of sound, too. fair amount of sound yeah. as well. Yeah. Which is created by the, the heat, isn't it? And then the expansion yes. and movement of yep. air. exactly. Created by that heat expansion. Yep. You get the crack of thunder. Yep. Okay, so we see plasma quite a lot then in action. We do, yeah. But a lightsaber that is capable of creating that glow, would it also be solid, something that could cut through metal or... or somebody's arm or ham, which it often seems to be doing, especially if you happen yeah. to be related to the person you're fighting. So this, uh, this is where we, the fact or fiction starts to get a little bit dicey. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't really have a lot of mass because it's just ionized gas. So if you swung it, you know, you could hurt somebody by basically electrocuting them. Yeah. But it's not going to be the type of thing that, you know, like a regular sword where the actual weight of it would be deflected or be bouncing around. And what would happen if you came across uh, another lightsaber? It was it whacked your lightsaber. They wouldn't crash. Yeah, they, they, this, they'd pass through each other or you give each other a short circuit. The, yeah, this is another issue I have. So they wouldn't, you know, in a duel, they're kind of clashing. You get this crackling sound that sounds kind of electrical. But if you take these plasmas, which are highly conductive, and they're driven by this really high electric field, and they make contact, they're going to connect, so they'll basically short out, just like lightning is shorting out to the earth. Yeah. I think that's what would actually happen in a duel of plasmas. Is it actually possible to create a discrete zone of plasma like that in a lightsaber? Has anyone managed to do that? That's another area of scepticism of mine. So, um, you know, you need a very high electric field to create a plasma, and the way to controllably make an electric field with a well-defined shape would be in a contained space where you actually... That wasn't a lightsaber, by the way. That was just his <laughs> arm, I think. Yeah, it was. Sorry about that. That's all right. Um, I do it all the time. <laughs> um, so you would you would need a um, basically electrodes surrounding this space to, to, to define the electric field. If that's not the case, you would get a situation like lightning that takes the closest path to Earth. So I don't think it's plausible that that you could have this blade-like shape that just grows out of a handle. You probably more likely get the force lightning that the evil emperor sends out from his fingertips, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. It would just shoot out from, from the bottom of the lightsaber and go to the ground and zappo. Yeah, I think that sounds a bit more <laughs> a bit more likely, actually. And it's unlikely to create that hum, isn't it? You know, that was a very yeah. important part of the, the lightsaber is, is the hum. Yeah, the, the hum, hum and the buzz. The buzz, and it kind of changes pitch as it moves around. As you wave it around, yeah, like yeah. a whirly-gurly. If I try to think about how that could come about, you know, that buzz is probably kind of a kilohertz frequency, 
for us to hear it like that, maybe a little bit lower. And you would need power supplies, really high voltage power supplies to create this plasma. You'd probably need them to be operating at AC as well to maintain this plasma. But alternating pro- current. Alternating current, yeah. But you'd probably Why need is them- that crucial? Why not DC? Because basically you want to be able to constantly replenish the charges in, in the plasma. Okay. So we actually make plasmas, for example, in semiconductor processing where we create this chamber that alternates at megahertz frequency. And so it's constantly replenishing this plasma. We use it for, um, it's very reactive, so we use it for etching surfaces and burning away things. So getting back to the sound, a lot of power supplies do make sounds. They, yeah. they do hum. Yeah. They, you know, they could Most have a, electric transformers. Yep. Yeah. So, that, so it's, it's not unrealistic that there could be that kind of sound. The problem I have is that um, there would need to be extremely high voltage power supply and high frequency, and it's not going to fit into the handle of yeah, Well, that's the thing. Okay. You, you look at the lightsaber when it's not on, and it's a handy thing that can fit into your pocket yeah. pretty much. And I'm thinking, what kind of batteries would you need to power yeah. that thing? Well, exactly. Not your average 12 volt, and we can't be 12 volt DC either. It's got to be AC. That starts to fall down. I, I don't think that would be um, <laughs> sufficient power either. I mean, You'd have to carry along a battery the size of a spaceship, wouldn't yeah, you? I mean, plasma screen TVs, which are now obsolete, replaced by LEDs, um, haven't been manufactured for the last five years or more. But very heavy, very thirsty for power. So they create plasmas as a light source, but, you know, in, in pixels. Um, but, yeah, they're very thirsty for power. Were plasma TVs, was that the original television screen? Was no. Was it plasma? Was the that the second ones, generation of TV uh, well, screens? The original ones were cathode ray tubes, which is oh, yes, yes. related in a, in a way with you know free electrons And they might around. even run on a valve, eh? Yep. Yeah, because yeah, I remember ones. the old TV sets used to take ages to warm up, just like a radio. Yeah, that's right. And um, there's been yeah, LCD TVs with you know kind of a backlight and filter, and now LEDs with this more efficient light emission. And how do we actually manage to harness the plasma to create a television image? That I don't know exactly, but I'm guessing that there are either pixels that emit a plasma at a different color. And we know that depending on the nature of the gas, the color of the plasma emitted changes. And what um, would be the, the um, actual substance that would create the plasma? I don't know off the top of my head, but I can give you a few relevant examples. So, for example, neon lights they're a plasma emitting and okay. you know they they contain um, noble gases like neon so it, it could be things like that I, I don't know the exact technical details of a plasma a TV um, and another thing that's worth mentioning is that the physics of plasmas and specifically the light that they emit the color of light that they emit that was actually very uh, helpful in the early days for us to learn about the structure of atoms about the energy levels of atoms because by studying and resolving the colors the wavelengths that come out we learn about the quantization of, of energy levels in, in atoms. So plasmas have been very important in atomic and molecular physics. What do we use them for now, apart from the construction of semiconductors and things like that? We don't use them for television so much now because LEDs have taken over. What else yeah. do we use plasma for? Another thing that we use it for is uh, plasma cutters. And so this, we can cut with a plasma. We can cut with a plasma. So that's kind of realistic, that the lightsaber can cut through things. And the way that a plasma cutter works is that you basically have this tip with a really high voltage, and then you pass this jet of gas, and you need the device to be connected electrically to the metal that you want to cut. It has to be a conductive metal that you want to cut. So basically, it, under this high voltage, it forms a plasma, um, between the tip 
and the metal that you're trying to cut um, that needs the gas to create that plasma. And when that plasma is formed, it's very conductive. And so that means that there's a direct path for a huge amount of current to flow very locally from the tip to the metal. And so basically it's just, um, in passing this huge amount of current, it's basically just heating the metal very locally to a very high level. But that plasma cutter won't come in the form of a lightsaber, and it'll be connected to a very, very heavy power supply. Yeah, exactly. And you need to clip it onto the thing that you're going to cut. So, um, so yes, a lightsaber in some ways would be dangerous. It would cut things. It, you know, would basically electrocute you. And you know, if you're going to carry this thing that's a really high voltage power supply around, then you're probably better off just electrocuting your opponent. Right. Right. You don't need a lightsaber to do it. Yeah. You just well, that's why the emperor generally won most of his fights, <laughs> until finally he got well. You know, I can't give that away. <laughs> Theoretically, is there any source of energy that we might be able to put into the something that the size of a battery that could create the energy needed to create the lightsaber effect, the sort of plasma, localized plasma? Is there anything out there to get beyond the energy density that we currently manipulate? you know, electricity and, and batteries, et cetera, and if it was portable, I think you'd have to be looking at nuclear energy in order to get sufficient energy density, and that then becomes a whole different can of worms. And a nuclear reactor takes up a lot of space at the moment. Oh, yeah, just in terms of the energy density of the substance, it would be small, but, yeah, the things that you need around that to actually harness that energy are, are massive. You What's know, the smallest nuclear... Do you know what the smallest nuclear reactor is? Well, there's there's a lot of talk about micro-reactors, but I think that's more in the research stage than in reality. But, but theoretically, micro, how small? You know, what mi- do they mean by micro? I mean, I'm talking now from TED Talks I've seen rather than any real expertise, um, but I think they're talking kind of on the scale of a few rooms rather than, than a massive power plant. A few rooms. Yeah. That's still a lot bigger than, you know, something you can put put in your pocket. Still a lot bigger than something you could put in your pocket. So in, in Star Wars, these lightsabers are supposed to be powered by this crystal, this kyber crystal. And, you know, that's um, a crystal in itself doesn't do anything. And in fact, being a crystal, it's probably a kind of a thermodynamic sink. It's very stable. It's not going to emit a lot of energy. And there's no way you could energize a crystal to create a plasma? I mean, you can energize crystals by you know heating them or polarizing them inducing a phase change but it's not going to store a huge amount of energy density what is the smallest most compact electrical device that creates anything approaching the sort of energy that would create a plasma in the air when i think of weapons that are used at the moment that use electricity i immediately think of taser what's the difference between a taser how does a taser work? A taser, as far as I know, is a high voltage and, you know, you shoot this electrode essentially into your um, opponent, if you like. It's attached to a, a bit of wire, It's attached it? to a bit of wire, so it basically just gives a big electric shock. So that, that'll be high voltage. I mean, that, the, the, the electric shock is, is quite massive. Yeah. So there's a fair amount of energy in the taser, and the taser is something that people hold in their hand. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the voltage pocket. is, whether it, whether it would be enough to make a plasma. I suspect not. But the other thing is that it's just a short pulse of energy. It's not actually sustained like a lightsaber would need to be. How is that charge created? How is the, the voltage created? Yeah, in a um, taser. 
in the taser, I mean, I imagine that there would be a low voltage power supply that then gets up converted into high voltage. How do you do that? This this is getting uh, more into <laughs> Sorry, more Justin. electrical engineering than in power electronics than my chemistry uh, background uh, prepared me for. Right. Um, but that is a pretty standard thing to do in in power electronics. But obviously, you need to conserve energy, so you're you're not creating something from nothing. Yeah, and even if you're able to administer a sudden shock to somebody else, once you've done that, all the energy's gone. Yeah. 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 Whereas lightsabers are supposed to keep on going forever and ever. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. never seen a lightsaber fight <laughs> where somebody ran out of battery power yeah, no. or crystal power. Yeah, never. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sci-Fi, Sci-Fact, hosted by me, Brian Crump, produced by Andrew Robertson, and of course, made possible thanks to the incredible knowledge of those brilliant scientists at the McDiarmid Institute. You can find more episodes of Sci-Fi Sci-Fact on the RNZ Podcasts page. RNZ Podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or pretty much wherever you might find your podcasts. And make sure to follow us so you don't miss out on any new episodes. They say life is strange. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.